What's up, Emmanuel? How many love Jesus today? Hello? I can almost hear from Maple Grove. Everybody cheered in there too. What's up, Maple Grove? Y'all love Jesus there too on both campuses. How, how many of you love Jesus today? It's good to be in the house of God. I'm excited about today. I'm excited about what God is doing in the lives of the people that are under the sound of my voice right now because he's not done. The best is still yet to come. As you heard from Pastor David about connect groups, it's kind of a new day for our vision for what we want to do with connection of relationships. We don't want to just have what I call theater religion in the church where we just come and observe somebody do church in front of us on a platform. But our desire is also to have people connected to each other. And of course, Redwood faith is a value that I've talked about for many years here at the church. And it's a part of our story that you are stronger when you're connected to other believers. Just as a redwood tree's root system is interconnected to other redwood trees, it's important to me. And so you're going to hear more and more about it in the coming weeks because we're making an emphasis. New name, still life groups, it's now connect groups, new philosophy, new opportunity for God to raise up leaders and for all of the body to be connected to one another. Turn to the person next to you and say, you need to be connected. <laughs> I also want to, as we begin to walk into a brand new series, hashtag winning, I want to challenge you to do something today, right now. I want you to take out a piece of paper and a pen or your phone notebook function. And I want to challenge you to do something today. I want you to take notes. And I want you to jot down some things that I'm going to talk about today because I want you to chew on it later on today and perhaps throughout the week. Don't just be a hearer of the word today, but become a doer. And part of the, the value that I want to put in is not going to be felt only in this room. It's going to be felt when you actually think about it later on. So that's not the same thing as pulling out Twitter, Facebook, and ESPN.com. I want you to take notes and make it real for you. We're in the middle of the Olympics. Actually, it's ending today. And for the last couple of weeks, worldwide, the stage has been set for nations from all over. As athletes have been sent to compete in athletic competition. And it's been two weeks of champions. 306 events over the course of 19 days of competition will yield 136 medals for women, 161 for men, and nine mixed medals. Archery and badminton and canoe slalom. I didn't know that was a sport. Boxing and cycling and golf and diving and fencing and soccer and swimming and shooting, sailing and table tennis and wrestling and volleyball and weightlifting and on and on and on and it goes. But these athletes are spending their whole lives prepping and preparing and disciplining themselves and sacrificing their time for an event that only happens once every four years. And their goal is to represent their nation, their country, and they want to get a gold, a silver, or a bronze medal to stand on the medal stand. But here's, here's the thing I want you to consider today. There is more than what we see on the medal stand than just the athleticism of the actual event that they just participated in. There's a story behind that. The TV uh, presentation of the broadcast, NBC has shown like these personal stories about athletes. Uh, perhaps if you've watched it over the last couple of weeks, They'll give some kind of emotional story about an individual and who's competing and their background, and it's all designed to make you cry. And uh, 
and you then get emotionally connected to their story. Then they go out there and they're performing and you find yourself cheering on somebody you'd never known before. And um, there's an, an investment behind what you see on the field or in the pool or on the field of competition. There's a story behind those people. Each athlete has gone on a disciplined journey in order to make it to this moment. They've gone through pain and silence and distractions and failures. They've been tempted to quit, to give up, but they didn't and they've made it to this moment. And really in their story, as in our story, there is uh, an image that really represents this that I'd like to present today, and it's the image of an iceberg. An iceberg is a large piece of freshwater ice that is broken off a glacier or an ice shelf and is floating freely in open water. Typically, only one-tenth of the volume of an iceberg is above the water. All you see is a tenth of the whole thing, and icebergs and their hidden parts are often a danger to ships out in the ocean. Beneath the level of water, nine-tenths could hit a ship and you wouldn't even know where it was. Think Titanic. There's more below the surface. I want you to consider something today, church. When you see a successful person, when you see a successful parent, when you see a successful business leader, a successful spiritual leader, a successful follower of Jesus, you have to know that there is far more to the story of their success than what you see. They weren't born with different DNA and special stuff that you didn't get, but there is a story behind their success. As we begin our new series, Hashtag Winning, we're going to be looking at our own races our preparations to win in life. What does it mean to win for you, for your family? What does it take to be a champion in life? What is 90, the 90% below the surface for you? What really goes into experiencing a win or to winning? During the series, we're going to look at things week by week, things like discipline that it takes to get there or emotional intelligence, your EQ, or the endurance in pain or embracing the team around you. Today, we're going to begin with the finish line. Where are we going? We're going to begin with the end in mind, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 9. I don't hear a whole lot of paper in here, so I'm hoping you're able to flip over to a Bible version or you get your Bible out and use your Bible. It's important. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and it's an era of time in which people are being called out of darkness. They once were not Christians, and now they're becoming Christians, and they're a part of the church. And Paul is trying to tell them how to live God's way, not just the way they were raised. Not just the way everyone else around them lived in their city. He was challenging them to think different. And he begins to tell them how to run, how to live, what level of energy to live with. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I want you to hear what he says. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games 
goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Now this is an interesting passage because Paul uses the word run in the games. He's talking about the Olympic games. So though it was 2,000 years ago, we're having the 2016 Olympic games right now. Paul could write this to us. And he's trying to make a parallel for us to an athlete. He's not saying everyone is an athlete, but he's saying, I want you to take a look at the runners who compete and the lifestyle that they have and the pursuit that they have, the disciplines that they have to shoot for a prize. And he's turning around to the church and he's saying, these are the athletes. I want the church to do the same with your life for God. For you have a purpose, and you're not running for a temporary crown or just a gold medal that will pass away or will be handed off to your descendants when you die, but you are running for an eternal crown that will never pass away. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and he uses this language because everyone is running. Run is a word that describes how we approach our lives, our work, our relationships, our finances, our pursuits. And he's saying everyone is running, but we are to run for a prize. It's a way of running. It's not just lackadaisical. It's not like, well, I should run today, but I think I'll turn over in, the, in my bed and, and fall asleep and wait till that feeling of running for a prize goes away. No, he's saying, I want you to run for it. Everybody say run. He says, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, ultimately, for the church, our prize is to see Jesus face to face. Ultimately, we are running for that day when we get to see our Savior, and he says, well done, my good and what? Faithful servant. We're looking forward to that day. But Paul is not just talking about the end of our race in the big terms. He's also talking about how we live our lives in the present tense. There are days and there are weeks and there are months and there are years. And he's saying, I want you to run with all that you are to run for the prize, to have a picture of where you're going. And the great paradox of the gospel, Jesus loves the brokenhearted and heals the brokenhearted and challenges everyone to stretch toward greater achievement for the glory of God. It's both receiving his grace and running for something. You and I were meant to run. And let me pause for a second and give you a biblical definition of the word success. What is biblical success? It really comes down to one word, faithfulness, okay? But that faithfulness or success really is this. I want you to remember this. Fulfilling God's vision in his timing for his purposes. Say that with me. Fulfilling God's vision in his timing for his purposes. In other words, we're not just running randomly and we're not running for our purposes. We're running for his purposes. You and I need to receive a picture, God's picture, his vision for our lives. 
You know, a vision is something that we live towards. It's a picture of the prize or the destination. It's the thing that we reach for. It's absolutely critical. Without that picture, things don't look too good. In fact, it says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. You know what that word perish means? It means to give up, to lose heart, to stop trying. To stop trying. When I look at the church, and I, I get the privilege of seeing so many different people every Sunday, I'm so honored to get to preach the word of God when I get up here and I get to preach. And I look around the room, and you have to know on a pastoral level, my heart thinks of every one of you. When I pray, I literally pray over pews in my mind. And I think of where many of you sit in the exact same spot every Sunday. And in Maple Grove, I visualize you. I walk through the Maple Grove sanctuary periodically, and I think about you as well. But here's the thing. I know that all of us come from different backgrounds, and we're at different seasons and stages of our journey. And I know this. People that don't have a picture that they're running for, a vision in their heart or their soul, their behavior is below the level of what they were called to be. Because there's no reason to get up in the morning. There's no reason to say no to the devil. There's no reason to say yes to, to righteousness. There's no reason to do what I should be doing because I don't have vision. It is absolutely critical for you, all of you, all of us in this church, to have vision. We need a picture to run for. We need something in our soul that says, I'm not done yet. I have not reached the finish line. I'm still running for the prize that's set before me. Can I get an amen? That's what fuels our steps in our run. We don't step into something unless we have a vision we're shooting for. It's what a single parent in our church will do when they have to work two or three jobs and they're running like crazy to get their kids from thing to thing to thing. They feel like they're alone, but they will sacrifice their time. They won't get much sleep at night. They don't even have time for friendships or relationships. Why? Because they have a dream about their kids making it. And they're not going to give up on their kids, so they keep doing what they can do because they have a picture, a vision in their heart for their kids to cross the finish line. And so they give everything they got to go for it. You and I need to have a picture of where we're going. Many people lose sight of why they're living, the purpose for their daily experience. Even successful people can lose a picture of why they're doing what they're doing. And by the way, when a successful person loses sight of their purpose, their God-given purpose, they began to chase out entertainment. Because that work no longer satisfies their soul, and if they're not gaining the purpose from God, then they just look for stuff that satisfies their time and makes them feel good for a moment. But it doesn't really fulfill the purpose in their soul. It's like grabbing a puff of smoke. It's like not reaching anything. So I'm not just talking about people who are down and out and have no dreams. I'm also talking about those who maybe have had a measure of success. We all are called to reach for the vision that God puts in our heart and our soul. There is a prize that you're running towards. There's a finish line for you to cross. That's why at Emmanuel, we say that you and I are empowered to reach those away from God, to grow in faith, and to live a life of purpose. See, you are special, you are unique, and you have a race to run because you matter. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are special. 
Turn to pers another person and tell them, you are special. <laughs> You're unique. You matter. Psalm 139, the psalmist is talking about God and his interest in us. And he says in verse 15 of Psalm 139, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. You know what I love about that passage? And you could read before and after that verses that I read is that no matter where you go, God sees you and he notices you and he's interested in you. Right from the very beginning in your mother's womb, he was there shaping you and molding you and he was making you who he wanted you to be and he likes you. And I've said this over time, but I'll say it over and over again. God really did make you and he really is interested in you. He doesn't like somebody else more than he likes you. He actually likes you. In fact, turn to the person next to you, look him in the eyes and say, God made you. Come on, turn the way he wanted you to be, and he likes you. <laughs> he did, and he is interested in you, but we miss, we miss that sometimes. And friends, listen, if you don't understand that God loves you and is interested in you, when I talk about him giving you a vision, it won't even mean anything to you. But if you can pause and just recognize even when I was not choosable, he chose me. See, because the truth is, when we came out of our mother's womb, there's a lot that's happened since we were born. We've gone through a lot of experiences. Some people have been rejected. Some people have done stupid things. We've actually left the road of his purposes and walked away from him. The Bible says it this way, that, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've walked away from where, but still, his interest in us has not gone away. In fact, what does it say in Romans 5, 8? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He chose you before you chose him, and he still has a vision for your life. He's not done. It's not over. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, God not only believed in us at the beginning, but he gives us a new, fresh faith. Other places, Paul says that the old is gone and the new is come. We're new creations. And he's given us purpose. So this is what I want you to consider today. In fact, if you have a, a pen or you can type into your phone or whatever it is, I want you to answer this question both now and later on. What picture of the future has Jesus put in your heart and mind? What picture of the future has Jesus put in your heart and mind? Some of you are like, I don't know. 
I'm going to give you some categories to consider. But as you do, you need to know this. Even if you don't know what that vision is yet, he is going to continue to plant those little seeds, those previews of a movie, if you will, in your soul in certain ways. And it, you have to take the time to notice it. Categories like this. What about as a dad or a mom for your kids? Do you have a dream for your kids? Do you have a hope for a future? Has God dropped something in your spirit? And there's all kinds of tension. When you got little kids, you don't know what they're going to become. You might have fears. You might have worries. But fears and worries should not control how you lead as a parent. The vision that God has given you should and for your kids. Pastor Allison, our, our early childhood pastor here at the church, worked with me on this message, and she, she talked about the baby dedication ceremony. She talked about how uh, when we talk to parents, we want to challenge the parents on the early side to have vision, even though they don't know what their kids are going to become yet. And there's a, a script that we read each time that we get together. So I want to read to you what we give to the, at the baby dedications. Some of you that your kids have long since grown up might have forgotten these seasons and stages, but just listen. Sometimes you will look into the face of your child and just wonder, who will my kid become? Will they get my ears? Will they get my laugh? Where will they go to college? What will their friends be like? Will they like me when they're a teenager? It's <laughs> a great question. Well, guess what? Who your child will become is still somewhat of a mystery. It's a question too big to answer. Actually, it's too big for you to even try now. That doesn't mean you can't start praying for your child's faith and character now. And as a part of the homework that we give to the families, we ask you to list characteristics that you hope your child will develop. So whatever is on your list, whatever qualities that you're praying for your child to develop, just remember you have the potential to be their best teacher. That's right, the best person to influence your child's future is you. You are the single most important influence in their life. And as that influencer, it's important to stay focused on what really matters. So when you talk about vision for the future for your kids, you're also talking about vision for the future yourself. Not everybody here has kids, I understand that. But I want you to understand the principle of in relationships, in other areas of your life, you're not just praying about what you want to see happen. You're also praying about what you want God to build in you, what you want to see developed in you. How about as a friend? Do you have dreams for your friends, your friendships this fall? Those of you that are going back to school, what are your friendships going to be like? Are you going to have a good influence on the friends that are around you? Are you going to have good friendships? You know, friends are really important. Or how about in your, in your grades, in your studies, in your pursuits? We have many college students, grad students, as well as middle school and high schoolers in our church. And by the way, I'm so glad that our youth group is back here. We missed you last Sunday when you were off at summer camp and uh, heard so many stories. And if you, haven't seen, if you haven't seen the youth group video recap, it's kind of fun. It's like half all the crazy, fun, stupid things that they did on the athletic competition field. And then there's the spiritual side on the other side. But that's really what youth ministry is all about. But for all of the students that are in our church, I want to challenge you. What's this year going to be different than last year? 
What is the vision that God is beginning to drop in your heart? Or how about spiritually? Do you find a desire to know the word of God more? Do you want to pray more? Do you want to lead people to Christ? A friend of this week that I met with that has cancer was still believing in God for healing and freedom, and I believe in healing. I've seen people healed from cancer, and I know God can and will do it for him. But he's also living in the reality of the moment. He has visions not just for healing, but he has a vision for what God can do through his life and the people that are most important to him. And he stopped in our conversation, and he said, you know, Nate, I really want, you know what I want? I said, what do you want? He said, I really want to be able to pray out loud for people. He's never done that. And it was, it's a leap of faith. It's a vision for him. He said, I just feel like if I do it once, the dam will break and things will go flow. And I thought, man, that's a great personal vision that God's put in his spirit that will make a difference when he prays with his sons and when he prays with other people that come to visit him. That's vision. What about your business or your job? Is there something that's developing? By the way, when you want to develop a vision, you want vision in your soul, sometimes it comes and starts in the form of a burden because you start off not liking something about a particular area of your life and the gap between where you are and what you think it could and should be is vision. And it could be God is birthing vision in you and you don't even know it. If you're a business owner, perhaps God is wanting to help you in your career or maybe not even as a business owner, maybe you're a leader in the workplace where you are or in the community that you are. And perhaps God wants to expand the vision for what is possible this next year. Maybe God wants you to uh, innovate and do something new so that you can increase profits and maybe hire more people. I pray all the time when I drive up and down University Avenue or I drive down 93rd and Maple Grove or I drive down uh, the street, I pray God that we bless the businesses in our community. Why? Because I know if they get blessed, they're going to hire more people. And I want people to come off of unemployment and find their jobs, right? So perhaps God's beginning to drop a vision in you that will fulfill the need that your pastor is praying for. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Maybe there are some of you that are in what I call the second half of life. You're retired. And the first half is over, but does that mean the game is over? No. Maybe there's purposes that God wants to develop and, and grow with, from, with inside of you. So what is your vision? What are you running toward? Have you given up? Are you pursuing something? Are you running to win? What is your scoreboard? Success can be look, look different for everyone. You know, Not everyone's given the same gifts or talents. In the body of Christ, the, the scripture seems to show that everyone is given something different. You might have a talent I don't have, something to offer I don't have to offer. You might be one of those people that's different. Matthew chapter 25, I won't read through it right now, but the story is Jesus is telling of three servants. And the master gives the three servants three bags, each of them a different amount of money. One is given five bags of silver, another is given two bags of silver, and another is given one. And each of them that are given these five, two, and one, they're given these bags, they're expected to do something with it, not sit on it, the master goes away and he comes back. You guys know the story? If you don't, it's fascinating, read it, Matthew 25. The master comes back and, and the one that had the five, he did something or she did something with that and invested it and had a return on that investment. And the master said to him, well done, my good, and what? faithful servant. So faithfulness was in relationship to what he did with what he was given. 
And then a second person came in, and they did something with what they had. It was a lesser amount than the person with the five, but they did something with what they had. And then finally, there was the one person, and that one person did nothing. They buried it and did absolutely nothing. And then the master was angry with that individual because they did nothing with it. They did nothing. You know, when I think of Jesus' perspective of our lives, we're all given different amounts. You don't have to be like anybody else. This is not a comparison. You don't have to run like somebody else in the room. You can just run the race that God has given you. And the bad servant had the wrong definition of winning. Vince Lombardi said it this way, winning is habit, unfortunately, so is losing. Think about that. So maybe you've been in the habit of losing because you've had a wrong perspective of what winning is. And I would just say this, everyone is given something and we have a responsibility to do something with what God has given us. Run your race, do what God has assigned you to do. Winning's gonna look different for everyone. It could be there are people in here today for you, an absolute stand-up gold medal winning day is to say no to drugs. And I say to you, run your race, baby. I'm cheering you on. You don't have to do the drugs. You don't have to give in to drinking. You don't have to do whatever that thing is that you're fighting. And there are other people like the business owner that perhaps God is calling you or business leader or corporate leader or government leader, God is asking you to do more with what he's already given you. Winning can mean saying no to the sinful nature and yes to righteousness. So here's the deal. I want you to consider the big picture that you're running for, the vision that you're pursuing. But how do you get there? And you don't get there unless you look at where you are first. How many of you have ever been to the Mall of America? And you look for your store. For me, it might be like the Apple store or something. You look for your store on this big, grand, thousands of stores, mall directory. And you find your store. And you go, that's where I want to go. But you can't get there. You can't chart your path to get there until you do what? You look for the you are here piece. Because it really matters where you are before you go to where you want to be. In church, I want you to hear me today. You and I need to have what's called location intelligence. We need to recognize where we are before we know where we're going. We can sense the vision. We can embrace the vision. But then we need to have a realistic assessment of where we are. So I want you to, to write these things down. These areas I want you to consider where you are right now, okay? Where are you at? I'm going to give you five things. Where are you at with God? I mean, really, where are you? Not where were you five years ago when you had that great break breakthrough period with God. Where are you really right now? You know, God is interested in you confessing or saying what he really sees. The conf confess is the Greek word, uh, comes from homo logeo, which means to speak the same thing to God. Don't lie to God. Don't do the Adam and Eve and cover up in the garden. He already sees you, okay? Where are you at? Be honest, okay? Secondly, where are you at with your relationships, the core relationships in your life? I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about workplace. I'm talking about kids. I'm all of that. Where are you at? 
Is it in a good place? Have you spent time sharing love and concern and service with the people that are around you? Friends are like elevators. They can take you up or take you down. You've been going down or you've been going up? I mean, honestly, take an assessment on that. Third, physically. Where are you at physically? You know, there's some people that love to put their, their uh, photos of themselves from 10 years ago on Facebook as uh, this is who I really am. Not what's your best uh, historical picture, but where are you now? Do you need to deal with that? Are you lying about it? Are you covering up? Or is there some area that maybe in that picture, in that dissatisfaction, there's opportunity for vision? Okay? What about with your career? Your professional life? Is there something you could do with that? Is there something that perhaps... And how about this, the fifth thing? What about in ministry? Are you allowing God to fulfill his purpose through you? You say ministry? What do you mean ministry? Isn't that the job of the paid pastor on the platform? Isn't that the job of these super spiritual people? I do enough just to get into church, Pastor Nate. The Bible really says, you know, Ephesians 4.11, there are these five gifts. Pastor is one of them. But all of those five offices are set to help the body, the rest of the church, do the work of the ministry. Who's supposed to be in ministry in purpose with God? So let me ask a question. I'm just going to realistically, honestly, are you doing anything in partnership with God in his ministry? Yeah, yeah. Where are you at? Be honest. Because you'll never get to your ministry dreams until you acknowledge where you really are right now. You can chart a course from here to vision once you know where you are. And I, Do you want to stay here? Or do you want to move toward your vision? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for, by the way, that phrase, what we hope for, is the title of our worship album. Comes right out of Hebrews 11. Faith is the confidence of, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. I love this. The people of old earned a good reputation because they believed in something and they did something with what they believed. Faith is not having a grandiose someday dream like I'm going to win the lottery, but I know I never will. Faith is seeing a vision and taking a step toward the vision. Stepping towards the vision is faith. Stepping away from it is foolishness. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 2 says, A wise person chooses the right road. A fool takes the wrong one. I'm going to ask our worship teams, both campuses, to come and be ready here. Because as we conclude, I want you to consider all of these things. I want you to pull these notes out today and tomorrow and the next day. And to be realistic about it. And here's the thing. When you start getting honest about where you are with God, you give him opportunity and permission to get in your business. And he's the one that's for you, remember? He's the one that believes in you. He's the one that is shaping you into his masterpiece. 
So don't run from God with those thoughts. Run to him. And once you're in that place, see if God doesn't begin to drop vision in your soul of a new day that's coming. Church, we are not meant to be a church of people that just talk about a vision fulfilled 2,000 years ago. And even as a church, what God did in our church two, 10 years ago was great. But God is birthing in all of us a vision for the future. And if we listen to him, he will begin to stir your soul with pictures of what could be and should be. And if you've done the work of honestly assessing where you are, you can then begin to chart your steps in the direction of your dreams. God is not done yet. The best is still yet to come. It's our responsibility to listen to him and then step out and believe. Can I get an amen? I conclude... I conclude with this picture of Michael Phelps, perhaps the most outstanding, most decorated Olympian of all time. This man spanned four, or excuse me, five Olympic games, had 23 gold medals and 28 medals in total. The next closest individual had nine gold medals. Unbelievable. And this guy was a winner. In the pool, he was beating records, world records, Olympic records. Everybody's chanting his name. And he went through one Olympics after another in the London Games. He won a few gold, but he didn't win the one he wanted to. And he said because he, he wasn't training like he used to train. He had lost a picture of vision in his heart. He actually ended up having a couple DUIs. He was on the, in the press for bad reasons. He, someone caught a picture of him smoking from a bong. And it really destroyed his advertising ability. And it represented that inside he was shriveling up. You see, reaching the top of anybody's career doesn't mean that you're fulfilled. All he was doing was reaching a prize, but it was empty. And right along that time, he decided, I'm retiring. And he didn't know what to do with his life as a former champion. And so he called up another former champion, Ray Lewis, linebacker from, former linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens. And he said, Ray, you somehow made this transition. How come you seem so happy? How come you're making your way through? And Ray began to give him advice. And one of the advices that he gave him was to read a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. What, on the, what in the world are we here for? Michael Phelps began to read the book and discover that his purpose was not just to swim in a pool, although that was one of the gifts that he had that he could utilize. His purpose was to run for the glory of God, to swim for the glory of God, to live for the glory of God, that his life mattered far more than just the task that he had in a day, that he was meant to bring life to the people around him. And by the way, Michael Phelps is not a perfect person. People will look at him and go, well, I don't know about his morals and I don't know about this. But he's on a journey of discovering what God's purpose is for his life. And he's running to win for a different prize that is incorruptible, that won't pass away, that's eternal. He's living for something larger. Listen, I know this, that under the sound of my voice, I've got people that right now, you need to have some wins in front of you. You need to stop the losing culture in your own heart, and your own mind, and wake up and recognize that God's got purpose still for you in the future. Even if you've had disappointments in the past, even if people have disappointed you in the past, God still has something new for you. At the same time, there are people in here that have known a measure of success. And what are you gonna do, buy another business? 
What are you gonna do? Go on more vacations? Buy more cabins? What are you gonna do? Or, and those might be things that God might want you to do so that you can bless others. Or you're gonna pause and recognize in the station of life where I am, I need to make room for God's new vision in my soul so that he can do more through me. You might be a five talent person, but you still gotta invest what God has given you. Can I get an amen? Church, it's time for us to fulfill the vision that God has for us, to deny the voice and the lies of the enemy or our own weaknesses and our own failures that kind of replay in our brain and instead put that in our past and turn our face towards the vision that he's put deep in our souls. God's not done yet with you. He's not done with your family. He's not done with your kids. He's not done with our city and he's not done with our church. Would you stand with me today?